Let's take our Bibles together this morning, shall we? Let's turn in them to the book of Hebrews as we're going expositionally through this book and we find ourselves now in the seventh chapter of Hebrews, about midway through. And such is the depth of the theology here. We're reminded that we are in indeed the deep waters of theology that are being explained to these Hebrew Christians to whom this was written and also to us. Let's begin reading this morning as you follow along and I read in Hebrews 7 beginning in verse 11. Therefore, therefore if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things were spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke, nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that your resident truth teller, the Holy Spirit, would indeed tell us the truth. Would help us not only to learn, but also to accept your word as you've given it, and then live in faith thereon, trusting in our great high priest, Jesus, of the order of Melchizedek, and of his law of the new covenant, and that we might find our security there, we might draw near unto you as this new priest brings us closer than men have ever been before to God. Help us in this, both in the pulpit and in the pew, that you would override our flesh and let us live right now in the Spirit, and that your Spirit would make your word strong. In Jesus' name we ask these things, and everyone say it, Amen. Understanding our new great high priest. Understanding our great new high priest. We have a high priest. He is necessary for Christian life. And we have a law. A law that Christ the great high priest administers. The law of the new covenant. Jesus of the order of Melchizedek. 
and the new covenant law. This is he whom we're being introduced to in a very poignant and a very detailed way as the writer here of the Hebrews is making the point to these Hebrews that it is time for them to move away from their old system and move into what God is bringing about through Jesus Christ. True, they have attained to the resurrection of the dead. They are established in a church, but they also need to realize that the great high priest is Jesus and he is just as necessary for them in their walk in the new church as the Levitical priests were for those in the Old Testament in Israel. The question is, will they receive their new high priest? And will they receive the law which he administers? That is also the question for us. Where are we with Jesus? I've said many times as we've been studying through Hebrews that Hebrews is not the shallow end of the theological pool. Hebrews is the deep end of the theological pool, and we are in theology class. The study of Christ, Christology, and namely his priesthood that is ongoing and necessary for every believer is part of what we make as confession. He's called on us to hold fast to our confession, the confession of who Jesus Christ is, certainly, yes, as the Son of God. Certainly, yes, as the Savior and Lord. Certainly, yes, as he who paid the atoning sin and rose and ascended into heaven. But also, we confess him as our great high priest. So understanding our great high priest is what we've been all about. And by way of review, we've been looking into Christ's priesthood as it replaces the Levitical priesthood as it replaces all of those who are of the line of Aaron as established in the Old Testament Mosaic Law. And we've been looking through verses 11 and going on through verse 19, and we've been taking our time because this is where a lot of New Testament Christians seems to stumble. This is where even whole denominations seem to get things a little off track. But here it is rectified. Here it is clarified in such deal, a detail as to help us understand who and why Jesus is a great high priest who replaces the Levitical priesthood. We looked in the first place, letter A in your review, because the Levitical priests were imperfect. There was an imperfection to the Levitical priests. The imperfection, of course, was directly drawn from their humanity. In their humanity, they were weak. They were unable to bring about a drawing near of God's people all the way to his presence because of their inabilities. Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? There was a need because of their imperfection, their inabilities. That word perfection we have here is in the Greek teleon, or telia, or teleao. As the writer has been so crafting throughout this book as a theme, which doesn't just have the idea of perfection in our human minds. It has the idea of completeness or fulfillment or fullness coming in all the way there. The Levitical priesthoods were not able to bring the fullness of approach to the people 
they were bringing to God because of their own weakness and their inabilities. We've also looked in the past that because of their, there's been a change in the law, these Levitical priests need to be replaced. There has been a change in the law. Look at again, verse 12 in chapter 7. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change in the law. So since Jesus came as a new high priest and he changed the priesthood, there is also a change of the law. There's something to hold in our minds is that whenever there is a new law, a new priest to administer it. The old law has gone away, and so the old priests have gone away. There is a necessity then that a new law requires a new high priest, and a new high priest requires a new law. That is essentially what Hebrews is saying. Particularly as we had jumped ahead to verse 18 and saw that very explicitly that the old law has been annulled. Hebrews 7.18, notice, For on the one hand, there is an, an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and its unprofitableness. So the law of Moses, there was a weakness in it. There was an unprofitable nature to it. And there is an annulling of it. Annulling means, just like in a marriage annulment, those vows, those covenants, those things that were in place have now been done away with, and there's no more a binding under that law, but a freedom from it. And now I want to move on to our new study this morning. The third reason why the priesthood of Christ replaces the Levitical priesthood. The third reason the priesthood of Christ has replaced the Levitical priesthood. Letter C in your notes, because Christ is from the tribe of Judah. Now this may seem a small thing, but it is a large thing in the mind of a Hebrew who for hundreds of years have been looking to the tribe of the Levites from which their priests came, and namely from the line of Aaron. And so we look now at our text, verse 13. For he of whom these things were spoken, and that would be Jesus the Christ, of the order of Melchizedek, notice, belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. From which no man has ever officiated at the altar. As a matter of fact, it was a great crime for them to even think of officiating at the altar if they were of any other tribe, and they were not allowed to do so unless they were placed there by the order of God and according to the standards of God found in the Mosaic Law. Let me take you back to a little something that I hadn't put in your notes, but I'm giving it to you here for free, so there's no time off the clock. Amen? Verse 20, chapter 29 of Exodus now, in verse 38. 29 Exodus, verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Now I want to take you here to remind you that it is impossible to keep the Mosaic law without priests, without Levitical priests to oversee every area, whether it be the moral law, the civil law, the sacrificial law, all areas of law, it was necessary to have the priests involved in the keeping of that law. And without the priests of the order of the Levites, you could not keep it. For they are part of the law. They're inseparable from it. 
so Christ as well is inseparable from the new covenant that he administers. But let me show you this this morning. Verse 38, Exodus 29. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. So if you're going to keep the law, every day this has to happen in the temple. Verse 39, one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of mixed of flour mixed with one-fourth of an ephah with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you and speak with you. The approaching to God was always requiring some form of precursor sacrifice and even an aroma before God of the sacrifice necessary so that men may approach God. There was a distancing from God, from the Garden of Eden, that God has been slowly bringing man closer to himself through the administration of his laws. We are now in a closer era than they were in the Mosaic times. We do not need to have these lambs burnt every single day and to have a priest administer them so that we might approach. But this was an inseparable part of being a Hebrew, of being a follower of the Mosaic law. And so here we find, as we move along, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you and speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified, listen, by my glory. So I will sanctify the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also sanctify, listen, both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. The priests were necessary for Israel to draw near to their God, and it is inseparable from the Levitical system that Moses handed down by way of law. So there was a signaling taking place here. Christ is of the tribe of Judah, not of the tribe of Levi. And the writer of Hebrews is making it very, very clear for the Hebrews so that they could distance themselves, so they could come away from the old system that they'd been following and fully embrace Jesus Christ as their great high priest. So it signaled to them the establishment of a new and better order of high priest. A new and better order of high priest from another tribe, the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of the Levites. Secondly, I want to point out because Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, there's a need for this priesthood to replace the Levitical priesthood, that it signals and is signaling the ushering in of a new and a better promise. We can also put in place a promise, a new and better law. Look at verse 14 in our text. 
For it is evident, says the writer of Hebrews, that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So if you want to find the priesthood of Melchizedek in the Mosaic law, you know what? You won't find it because it's not there. This is part of a new giving of a new covenant, a better law that requires a better high priest. Now, where am I getting all this from? Well, let me just skip ahead and give you a commercial as to where we are going. Hebrews 7, now 21. Hebrews 7, we have an Old Testament quotation here right from Psalm 110. Look at 21. And they have become priests, speaking of the Levitical priests now, they have become priests without an oath. But he, meaning Jesus, with an oath, by him who said to him, listen, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. It requires now a new order of priest and a new law that is coming. I want to skip ahead just a little bit further and look at chapter 11 and verse 38. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 38. Herein, these next few verses, we have some very great and deep theology. Mind you, this is at the very, very end of what we call the faith chapter. The chapter that lists all the great fathers of old and some of the great women like Sarah who trusted in the truth that God had given them. The parallel is we must trust in the truth God gave us, both the past truth and the present truth, and not try and pick and choose among the truths. We have to accept where we are in God's plan and purpose. Look at verse 38. Speaking of those who had been sawn in two, tempted, lived in caves, and were destitute, these people of faith, of whom the world was not worthy, verse 38, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. But now pay attention to this perplexing set of verses. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, hear me now, did not receive the promise. They did not receive the fullness of God's promise. Through all of the history of God promising from the very beginning of time, when he was speaking to Adam, when he was speaking to Noah, when he was speaking to Abraham, when he was speaking to the children of Israel, they never knew the fullness of of his promise, yet they held on to the promise by faith. How does that work for us? Verse 40, God having provided something better for who? For us, specifically for us, the writer of the Hebrews and all Hebrews of this new era, the church age the church period of time, having provided something better for us, listen, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That is our Greek term, teleos, again. They should not be made complete. They should not be brought into the fullness of the nearness of God without us. 
something better has been given to us. We have a better high priest. We have a better law than they have. And we need to receive as our high priest, Jesus. Because he is of the tribe of Judah, not of the Levites. And now the fourth reason the priesthood of Christ has replaced the Levitical priesthood. The fourth reason the priesthood of Christ has replaced the Levitical priesthood is letter D, because prophecy must be fulfilled. Because prophecy in the scripture must be fulfilled. Look at verse 15 now in Hebrews 7. And yet, he goes on to say, it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. Well, some of you might be scratching your head and say, well, I thought you were talking about prophecy. I am. I am talking about prophecy, and I'm talking about what will be quoted and has been quoted here a number of times in the book of Hebrews is this oath-giving and oath-taking by God that initiates and proclaims a future high priest even through David. In Psalm 110, we read these words starting in verse 1. This is a messianic psalm. What does that mean? This is a psalm that predicts the Messiah who will come and some details about who and what he will be like and what he will do. Some of these you will recognize having been used elsewhere in the New Testament as confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. Even verse 1. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus even used this verse to confound the Pharisees, to remind them that he pre-existed even Moses and even David. How then, he asks, is it that David would write and say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 2, now the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now here's what we have been centering on in the book of Hebrews. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn. The Lord has sworn. Did God give the Mosaic law, I ask you? Did he, did he write it? Did he give it to Moses? Was it not Moses who went up on the mountain, was gone for so many days while God wrote on the tablets of stone? Was it not to Moses that all the law of the Levites was given? How then could we find this in Scripture? God swearing something that contradicts the old Mosaic law. But that's exactly what we find. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is something new. This is something different. This is a prophetic annunciation of God's will for his son to become and to fulfill what the Melchizedek priest had proclaimed as a way of a type, a type of Christ. 
The Lord has sworn and will not relent. I want to point out to you that this is a different type of priest. And we found it actually when we were reading chapter 7, verse 15. And it's a, a single word that you might have passed over and not paid it much mind. Take a look at 7.15 again in Hebrews, and I read again. See if you can pick out this word. It is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. What word is it? Another. In English, it doesn't do a whole lot for us, but in the Greek, it is heteros. Heteros means different. Different. We are heterosexuals, meaning that men marry women because men are different than women. We need to proclaim this again in our world, amen? And we need to teach women and men when they're getting married. You know what? You're not marrying somebody who's just like you. And if you haven't figured that out yet, this is free marriage counseling and it's off the time as well. Men are not like women. Women are not like men. Men don't function like women. Women don't function like men. Men don't think like women. Women don't think like men. But there can be harmony between men and women. Can I have an amen? amen. Oh, that was pretty good. There's some out there actually believe that. And that is biblical and true. But we are not the same. And the roles of men and women are not the same. And so this word another is hetero. There is a need. It is evident in the likeness that there will arise another kind, a different sort of priest. A difference is required because the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek that is outside the realm of the Levites. He is of a different kind. And it fulfills the messianic promise of the predicted Messiah. He fulfills the messianic promise of the predicted Messiah. Just as verse 5 of Psalm 110 does as well. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the days of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of the countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. As important as the kingship of Christ is in the prophecy of God found throughout, and we center on that yet uh, so many times. All hail King Jesus. Right? We got hymns about that. You know what we don't have hymns about? Melchizedek. Because I guess it doesn't rhyme with anything. So I challenge you. Someone please write a song about the high priesthood of the Melchizedekian line that Jesus Christ fulfills so that we can sing it. Okay. Laughter. I, I didn't plan that to be a joke. But in truth, you can see, it is an area of theology that hasn't made it into hymnody, which is why we are weak in this area. But it fulfills the same prophetic passages as the other and may not be ignored. 
prophecy must be fulfilled in the first place, fulfilling the messianic promise of the predicted Messiah, and now, too, fulfilling the messianic destiny, key words, by himself, fulfilling the messianic destiny by himself. I take you again to this very full verse 15 of chapter 7 of Hebrews, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest. Arises. There arises. This is something that is an amazing form here. Anistami is the Greek word. I know it's not edifying, but I say it because it evidences to anyone who knows Greek that anastami is given in what is called the middle voice. And that makes this verb then reflexive. What's a reflexive verb? Thanks, Pastor. So glad I came to church this Sunday. We were too in grammar, my favorite. Well, you know, grammar is now my favorite because of what good grammar reveals. And good grammar reveals that this is something wherein the subject is both the subject and the object. So in this way, I throw the ball... If I throw it against this wall and it comes back to me, it's reflexive. I throw the ball to myself. If Jesus arose in the reflexive, he arose by himself. By himself. There needs to be a different kind of priest and one who rises himself. By himself of himself. Well, some of you might say, well, doesn't the Bible say that God raised him from the dead? Yes. Doesn't the Bible also say that Jesus rose from the dead himself? Yes. Doesn't the Bible also say the Holy Spirit had something to do about it? Yes. Isn't that confusing, Pastor Fred? Yes. But is that what the Bible teaches, Pastor Fred? Yes. So how are we to take it? We're to take it with the understanding that our God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All were active in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, including the Son who died, who voluntarily laid down his life, so as he said he might what? Take it up again. He took it up again. He rose again by himself. He is different from every other high priest because he arose himself. He is a different sort, a different kind who rises by himself. And it signifies the fulfilling of the law, even the law that Jesus kept and Jesus demanded that others keep until the fulfillment. And by the way, the fulfillment is a perfect understanding of the Greek term, Teleon, teleos, teleao. Perfect. Chapter 5, Matthew. Jesus, first sermon on the mount. No one had ever taught like him. No one had ever said the things he said. Even after he gave the Beatitudes, and then what we also call the similitudes, you are the salt of the earth, etc., let your light so shine. Verse 17 of chapter 5 of Matthew, we read, Do not think, Jesus said, that I came 
to destroy the law or the prophets. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but what did he come to do? Fulfill, to bring to completeness, to bring to fruition what the law and the prophets were pointing to, namely himself. Jesus spoke of these things. He even spoke to the Pharisees who were denying his sonship, who were denying his deity, who were denying that he was the Messiah. And he said to them, he says, you read the law and the prophets, for in them you think you shall find eternal life. But what did he say further? But he said, these things were written of me. You will not find eternal life in the law apart from finding Christ who fulfills the law in every point. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is what? Fulfilled. What did Jesus come to do? He came to fulfill the law, to bring it to its end point. Signifies a fulfilling of the law and not a destroying of it. It also signifies his lack of ancestry. Jesus' lack of ancestry. That he arose. He's different than a man. He's different than the other high priests. They all died. And now Jesus yet lives. It signifies the lack of ancestry that we read about of this, this one Melchizedek who in all of his historical recordings, and he was a true, real, historical figure, yet it tells us even in the beginning of chapter 7 of Hebrews of this Melchizedek, king of Salem, verse 1, priest of most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, it says in verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now, that doesn't mean that he was never born and he never died. What that means is, is that the Bible records none of his genealogical history on purpose so that his representation of a type of Christ that was to come could be completely fulfilled in Jesus who would come, Jesus who is God's son. And that part of Jesus has no genealogy. And this Jesus who came seemingly out of nowhere, and now according to the tribe of Judah, he arises of the order of Melchizedek, signifies the lack of ancestry unlike the Levites. Why would this be? Jesus claimed the right of priesthood because of who he was and what he was in his righteousness and in his universal priesthood over all the nations. What brings Christians together under this new covenant, under this new priest? Jesus. How did it take place? Let me take you to the book of Galatians, once again, we touched this last week. 
when we were speaking about coming to fulfillment, coming to fruition, and that the law, the law that God gave Moses was incomplete. It was incomplete in the sense that Israel was immature. And so the law was given to them to bring them to a state of maturity wherein they could accept Jesus the Christ when he came and also accept him as the great high priest, which thing they were bound to have difficulty with. And even those who come into the church tend to have difficulty. The book of Galatians is, is written about a Galatian church that was in Galatia and they had a problem. And the problem was that as soon as they started the church, they believed in Jesus Christ. But some folks came along and said, well, we need to keep the law. We need to keep the law of Moses so we can really be Christians, so we can really follow it rightly. And I wish I could read the whole book of Galatians this morning, but I may not. But he begins chapter 3 this way, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, and then he goes on to say, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And he goes on to excoriate them for trying to bring the law back in and try to do the external things of the law rather than follow by faith Jesus Christ in this new thing called church. And we found out that when he was describing the law, the law was given a particular definition and a temporary purpose. Notice now again, verse 23 and 24. A history lesson is given. But remember, but before faith came, we, Paul says, we, we Hebrews, were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24, listen. Therefore the law was our what? our tutor, to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So once you're done with grade school, at least get to junior high. Once you're done with being tutored, the basic things, you need to move on to maturity, which perfectly fits the word we have so often translated as perfect in our Bibles and Hebrews and elsewhere in Scripture about coming to maturity. For it's in Hebrews, he says, by now you ought to be teachers, but you have need to be taught again the first things. He's saying you should be able to teach people deeper theology and you're stuck in the past. And that's exactly what he's saying to the Galatians. Why are you going to the past to your tutor when you need to grow up and follow law? This is why all come together because of the universal nature of Christ's priesthood. He's not of the Levites. He is of an everlasting life. He is a different kind. And this makes us all of the same category. Look at verse 26 of Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, what do you mean all? Well, here's the all. For as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither, listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one, how? In Christ. The world was divided up into two groups. The Jews and the Greeks, meaning all other Gentiles. And now these two have been brought together. Male and female, no difference. Rich or poor, no difference. Slave or free, no difference. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But now I want to skip down just a little bit to the next chapter and read a few verses. And I hope this starts to come clear about the childlike nature of the law coming to maturity in Christ and the new covenant law. Verse 1, chapter 4, Galatians. Now Paul says, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. It doesn't really matter that your dad's the boss. You're going to have to learn like a child. And that's exactly what he's saying. Verse 2, but under, he's under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the Father. What appointed time would that be? Until he grows up. He has matured and is able to take on the mantle of manhood. Even so, Paul says, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world, but in the fullness of time had come... But when the fullness of time had come, excuse me, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, listen, to redeem those who were under the law. Wait a minute, they were following the law, they were doing what God said. Yes, they were in grade school. And then came Christ. And now they have to move out of grade school into adult worship into the fullness of faith that is harder than the externals of keeping a law. It's one thing to say, thou shall not murder. And everybody says, well, I've never killed anybody. I haven't murdered. And then Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said of old, thou shall not murder. But I say to you, he who is angry with his brother is guilty. He who is angry with his brother, he won't reconcile with his brother, is a murderer. So I don't remember it saying that way. Well, that's a paraphrase. You can go back and read Matthew chapter 5 again. One's external. I didn't murder anybody, but I hate their guts. And the other is, I don't murder because I love my neighbor as myself. Because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. In those two great commandments stand the law and the prophets as a whole, Jesus said. They have to grow up. Just a little skosh more of Galatians chapter 4. Verse 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 
But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature were not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it, listen, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. That is a direct reference to the keeping of the Mosaic system that was based on a calendar. The calendar of Israel was the calendar of Mosaic law administered by the Mosaic priests under the Levites. It's a contiguous whole. It cannot be separated. Why are you going back there? Why would you, now that you've been made a son, want to go back to the nursery again and live your life with the door locked and a nanny and a tutor? Grow up. He is saying, verse 11, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain. So important is this to, to distinguish between where you are in your faith and who you follow. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the order of Melchizedek, of the new covenant, or are you trying to go back? And too many in our age are, and they're missing that even by doing that, you drive a wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles. Paul was not willing to do that. In Romans 15, he says these things. Verse 9, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his peoples. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. By the way, those are Old Testament quotes, prophetic of this coming Messiah. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall arise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the cataclysmic change of things in order to please God and to grow closer to him through this great high priest. Thirdly, it signifies his arising by himself in resurrection. He arose in resurrection, as we've already mentioned, and even Acts will use this word of this Jesus God raised up and esteemed me of himself. Jesus raised himself. He's different. The fifth reason, final reason this morning, I'm saving the sixth for a full sermon because it is so rich in details that we must take the time to go through it. Let's look at this fifth reason why the priesthood of Christ has replaced the Levitical priesthood. Letter E in your notes, because the power of life is better than law. Because the power of life is better than the law. And the Levites were of a fleshly commandment. Let's go to verses 16 and then 17 in Hebrews chapter 7. This one of the likeness of Melchizedek, who has come, verse 16, not according to the law, how has he come? Not according to the law. Let me say that again. How has he come? Not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. The Levites and their commandment 
were external. They were outside of man. The Levites were of a fleshly commandment, meaning a carnal commandment, a commandment of the body. The law was outward and it was physical. By the way, if you read the law carefully, you will find that there are over 100, 100 physical deformities that would disqualify a Levite from being and serving as a priest. Did you know that? 100 physical blemishes. If you had any of these physical blemishes, any of these physical problems, you were held out of being a, a, a priest in any capacity. Well, some of you might say, well, that's kind of unfair. Why would God do that? Well, if we think about it just a little bit, and if the, we understand that the Levites were simply a tutor to teach Israel about the priest who would come, then it comes clear, doesn't it? Because if we're going to have a foreshadowing priest who is going to predict the one who is to come, having him be blameless and spotless externally would help them to understand the one who would be blameless and spotless internally and externally. In the fulfillment, Jesus Christ, the great high priest. That's why their physical appearance was important in the law. It pertained to, all the law pertained to external ceremonies, washings, sacrifices, none of which could clean the inside completely. How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us, and Hebrews is going to tell us that in greater detail in the future, but let me remind you of Jesus. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Why do I keep bringing up the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees are the conservatives. If there were conservatives and liberals in the Bible times in Israel, it was this. The liberals were the Sadducees and the conservatives were the Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe that God was active in the universe at all. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay, that's an old joke, but I used it anyway right in church. They were the ones who were not keeping the law. The Pharisees came along to restore law keeping. They said, when we didn't keep the law, God punished us. Let's start keeping the law. Let's keep it well. And then they said, well, these people, man, they keep blowing it. So let's help them by making more laws. We'll make our own laws that'll keep them away from God's laws. So it's like this. If you're not supposed to walk on the sidewalk, the Pharisee did add to it and say, well, you're not supposed to walk on the curb either. And then over time, they thought, well, they're still getting awful close to the sidewalk. We better say, you better not walk on the right side of the street. And then that got to farther. Well, maybe you better not walk on the street at all. But that leads you to the other sidewalk. Let's put it this way. Just don't walk at all. And that may sound silly, but it actually got to that silly level. But even when they were just trying to keep the law, that wasn't enough. And God... When he was on earth, Jesus Christ, the son, he said to the Pharisees, he said, you clean the outside of the cup and the platter. You clean the outside of yourselves, the cup and the platter. But inside you're full of extortions. Inside you are dead. As he would say to them in a few more verses, 
you're like whitewashed tombs. The outside has white paint on it. It looks very nice. But inside you're full of dead men's bones. They were externally keeping the law apart from faith. And the reason that the law tells us these things is because the law was never able to completely reconcile any man to God. Again and again and again, more sacrifices had to be made. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest said again and again, sacrifice for the sin that the people committed, by the way, in ignorance. The Day of Atonement was not for sin you knew about. You were supposed to take care of that yourself. It was for sin done in ignorance. It, the, the Levitical priests were observing things that were done externally. And they were of fleshly human descent. In their qualifications, there was no moral qualifications. There were no spiritual qualifications of any kind. They had no character qualities that they had to meet. Hence the problem with the priests as you read your Old Testament. See, you could be a priest of Israel under the Levites because you were of the family of the Levites. And you could be completely unsaved. And many were. They didn't believe the very law they were administering. Because the law was a tutor teaching them the externals that would drive them to the internals. How did it do that? By showing them they were failing. You just try for one week to keep half of the Mosaic law and you will fail. I'm not even talking about the stuff that's in the temple and the sacrificial law at all. You just will fail. Why? Because you're a sinner. And you sin. And if you think by keeping all of that, you're saved, then you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. The Pharisees kept it all. They weighed out the anise and the cumin. Jesus said to them, you strain out the gnat and you let the camel in. So your heart is wrong. said, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to save those that understood they were unrighteous. And the law pointed out they were unrighteous. And they needed to be saved externally from themselves by God himself. And that's why they needed the power of life. Because the power of life is better than the law. The Levites were only fleshly, but Jesus' priesthood is according to the power of an endless life. All other priests died, except Jesus. He, it says here, you are a priest for how long? Forever. No, this isn't a part-time gig. He doesn't serve a few years and then take off. He doesn't live a life and then die like every other one that came before. He serves as a great high priest forever. So what does that tell us about us? How long do we need a great high priest? Forever. He ministers in heaven now. He's going to minister in the kingdom later. He's going to minister in the eternal state. Read your Bibles. 
You cannot have Christianity without Christ, the great high priest, and the new covenant, or you'll go back to law. Because Jesus is just like his father. He's eternal, eternal, eternal. Let me remind you of Jesus' self-declaration in John chapter 5, verse 26. Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Death cannot destroy his life. It tried, it failed. The oath of God confirms his eternal life. You are a priest forever, never to be replaced. So let me show you three contrasts in our study up to this point. Number one, the law restrains. The law can only restrain sin. It cannot fully deal with sin. The law restrains, but the power, the power of the new Christ, of the new law, enables enables us to keep God's holy new covenant law. Secondly, fleshly commandments are external. Fleshly commandments are something you can do on the outside and your heart doesn't even need to be with it. But life, this life, is eternal. And it's internal. Later in our study, we'll read of the new covenant where he says, I will give you the law written in you. Written on your hearts. And third, the third contrast, the law of Moses was temporary. You need to understand that it was designed to be temporary. It was designed to pass away. But this priesthood and this law that this priest administers, Jesus Christ, is unchanging. One was temporary, the other is eternal and unchanging. The question for us, the question for every Christian, the question for the world is, not only will you believe in Jesus Christ the Savior, will you believe in him as your great high priest? Both are difficult. But with the new heart and the new covenant, you can. But we may not remain children. We must grow up and worship with the great high priest, without whom we cannot draw near. There is no access to God without this great high priest. That's next Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, and thank you for the people who are here and listened. Help this message to be purged of any humanity and every weakness of the preacher. And help your word to do its work on the hearts of your people. Bless us now, Lord. And bless those who are here who maybe have not believed fully on Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, as the great high priest that brings them near unto God. And we ask your help, Lord, that you would bring them there and that they would confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead and thereby be saved. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and we say together, Amen.